Welcome to My Life, My Freedom. This is a podcast about freedom. Stories about people just like you who knew they had a bigger calling in life. They knew they had something to bring to the world. But there were things holding them back. They weren't where they wanted to be, but they didn't know how to get there. On My Life, My Freedom, you'll hear magical stories of freedom, how they did it and went on to change the world. Hi, I'm Dr. Mandy Rose, and I'm committed to helping free the world. I'm here to inspire and guide women to live free and do exactly what they want to do with their life, despite what culture, their family, and even their own brain tells them. Here, we overcome all that holds us back from getting what we want. I'll be bringing you freedom tips, tips on how to discover your gift, find your inner power, learn what you want and need, and how to communicate that to those in your life. Tips on how to live the expansive, beautiful life that is your birthright and live feeling radiantly alive every single day. I'm here to help you reprogram your subconscious mind, refine your spiritual gifts, and crack open the life that you are meant to have. I want you to know that I have been exactly where you are, and I know you can do this. If we gather together, we can heal the world. Hello, and welcome to My Life, My Freedom. Today, I have a very special guest, Tulin Tran, who has one of the most awful and beautiful stories I have ever heard in my entire life. And I've heard a lot of stories. Tulin desired a glamorous Manhattan lifestyle, something that her social worker salary could not afford her. So she taught herself stock market investing in her 20s. And since then, she's taught herself angel investing, crypto, and real estate investing. But when tragedy struck her five years ago with the death of her beloved husband, Tulin found herself a penniless widow with three young children. Using her intuitive investing framework, she pulled herself out of the pits of despair by generating over eight figures in investing profits, and now has made it her life's work to teach women how to invest and take control of their financial lives with as little as $20. Hope you enjoy the show. Hello, Tulin. Welcome today. Thank you so much for being here. How are you? Good morning, Mandy. I'm good. Thank you. Awesome. Awesome. Well, we're going to hop right into it. I know that you are such a successful businesswoman. You live this really amazing, amazing life. You travel all over the place. You have three beautiful children. But I know some more of your story, and I'd really love for you to share with the audience like the moment in your life when it wasn't like this. Like we all see you now. You're so amazing. You're so incredible. But like, there was where tell take us back to a moment in time when like you were very like things were chaotic. It was not the way it looks like you maybe you lost everything. Like you never thought that you were going to get out of that that crazy time. Tell us a little bit about that. <laughs> wow. And yes, thank you. It's true. I do live an amazing life now. Um, <laughs> but there was a time. Uh, it doesn't feel like even that long ago. Mm -hmm. but it's been almost five years and the kids and I were living in Palm Beach, less than two miles away from Donald Trump's Mar-a-Lago where we would go get brunch like almost every Sunday, you know, as I would take the kids to uh, play dates and parties and we would go on the beach and I had uh, then started angel investing. So that was like a new part of my career and had a loving husband and just living like this idyllic life in beautiful Palm Beach. And 
one day in March, <clears throat> I come home and find my husband dead. And um, it was very sudden. It was really sudden. Um, it was it, so it was unexpected. And then the yeah. And what I'm so sorry. Thank you for sharing that with us. What what happened after that? Like, did the whole world crumble around you? Yeah. So we had this beautiful life in this almost 8,000 square foot home, steps from the beach, um, lots of friends, family that would visit. Like I said, we would go to the beach every day. I would take the kids to school. I would take them to the zoo. You know, I would work on the businesses that I had invested in. And overnight, I became a widow and the children became fatherless. And pretty soon after that, I also, I then became a penniless widow. Oh um, we had always depended on his salary for living and never thought that something like this could happen. So money was always coming in. And the way it worked was that we lived off of his salary and I would take the big bets, the big bets that we could capitalize on, you know, five or 10 years later into the future. I've been investing in the stock market since 1997, since I was a teenager. So that was something I like to do. And he was a very astute uh, businessman. And so this was a really nice, setup that we had. And I never thought that anything could happen to it. But then, yes, I found myself penniless and I had gone to my business partners at the time for some help. And that's when I realized that they had no intention of ever helping me and actually try to steal the equity in the company that I had invested in. Oh my God. Wow. <laughs> Okay. So they, they, how did they do, like, how did they do it? Give us a, like a little bit more detail. Like how did this all. Okay. And your viewers are probably going to get really angry if they hear this. <laughs> because it was crazy. It was bananas. Um, so what they would do is they actually ran up my credit card, which was a platinum American express card, you know, with the no, no limit, no spending limit. And so they had ran, run it up to over 150,000 in charges. And these were like, uh, advertising charges, Google, Facebook. Mm -hmm. Um, and then they decided not to pay it, but it was in my name. It was two credit cards, a chase one and an American express. So I had no idea until, uh, yeah, you, you, just, you just lost your husband. You weren't, I, I know I, most days I did not want to get out of bed. Yeah. So, um, so I found myself in a place where I didn't have, so instantly my credit score went to 400. And so I was in a place where I had no cash and no credit. And so that was like one example. And this was kind of even a minor one. Um, but another big one that I found myself facing was that I was going to lose the house that we were living in because we had personally guaranteed, my late husband and I, we had personally guaranteed a $2 million loan 
to the company that was collateralized by our house. So they stopped paying back the loan unbeknownst to me until the bank started calling me and saying, Hey, we're going to foreclose on the home because you're in default of the loan. And I'm like, what are you talking about? Oh my God. Yes. And so I had to, I had to fight with the bank. Um, in fact, I even got into a lawsuit with the bank. Oh my gosh. I had not heard that part. <laughs> yes. Because you know, when, when this was coming out, uh, when it came to my knowledge, it was maybe three months that we, that the company had not paid, paid back the loan. So I was like, I have to take matters into my own hands. Like, even though, you know, I can barely get out of bed, I can't do the grocery shopping, you know, I can't bathe the kids. I can't, you know, I can, I can barely like breathe most days, but I had to get on the phone and I was like, this is actually what's happening. You know, I just became widowed and I know you have in all of these covenants of the loan that, you know, sometimes if this happens, it's like automatic default into the loan, you know, of the loan and, you know, all of these things. But really what's happening is that my business partners are betraying me and they're doing this on purpose. There's money in the bank to pay you, but they are doing it. They're doing it. They're not paying on purpose so that you can take the house and then they don't have to pay back the loan at all. And I said, are you going to do this to a widow? Are you? Because you're a publicly traded company and I'm going to go to the press. <laughs> I was really pushed, you know, that far because I had no money. So I had no place to live. Three little kids. My parents were not in like a financial position to help us out. So it really forced me back me into a corner where it sort of brought out other parts of me that I guess were always there, but I never yeah. had to. But, yeah. Before we go into that, I want I want to get a better image of where you were at then. Like, did you did you have did you have any friends or family helping? Like, did you have anybody that was like there for you, like holding your hand? Like, oh my God, this is really screwed up. Like, supporting you through this, or were you all on your own? I had, we had friends at the time and I had a lot of women friends, but I think when something like this happens, they just don't know what to do with that. So they helped me in that they helped bring the kids to school. They brought them home. They brought me dinner, um, you know, things like that, but they didn't know what to say. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It was, it's kind of one of those things where people like, what do you like? no one else has really ever experienced that before most yes. likely and so it's like how do you even relate like people have trouble relating to someone in a situation yeah. like that yeah mm -hmm. yes oh my gosh wow so did you feel like really alone during this time i felt completely alone and not even just completely alone but completely abandoned yeah what do you what do you wish that people had said or done or during that time obviously the business <laughs> the, like, obviously we the business people that's another story they, they they're like they shouldn't have done that to you but like from friends and family what do you wish you had gotten during that time i think it would be nice if they kind of just sat with me 
Mm. Like they didn't have to say anything, but kind of hold my hand or just give me a hug and not even really say anything, but just their physical presence says, I am here. Like, mm-hmm. I am here for you. Because a lot of times I didn't know what to say. I just felt, I just felt so much grief and sadness and heartbreak. Mm-hmm. And to sort of hold it kind of like on your own was really difficult. Yeah. Oh my gosh, Tulin. So this really, you must have really felt like the whole, like the rug was just pulled out from underneath you and just the like pulled out. Like, like in that, moment did you did you have a did you have faith did you did you have faith prior to that did you find faith in those moments like what 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 really got you through those really dark places yeah oh that's such a juicy question (laughs) because it was when i was on my knees completely abandoned by my friends by my business partner, um, partners, and the one that sort of led this con- whole conspiracy like against me, I had known for over 10 years, babysat his children, um, you know, driven him to the hospital, him, you know, myself, when I felt completely abandoned and was broken apart and on my knees, you know, that's when I realized there, there is someone there that didn't abandon me. And that was God. Wow. And did you have a faith prior to this or did it, obviously it was strengthened during this time it sounds like, but did you have any faith beforehand? Yeah, I had grown up as a Buddhist and Mm -hmm. so learned a lot of Buddha's teachings and Kuan Yin, the goddess of compassion and i have to say in my darkest moments when i thought like my heart would break from like the the physical pain of having lost you know my husband at that time and the heartbreak i felt for the children in those hardest moments i leaned on a buddhist breathing practice called tong len And that was the only thing that was able to help me get out of bed and to go along my, along my day. And so what it is, is that you breathe in the pain of, you you know, your own pain and you breathe in the pain of everyone who's ever suffered in the past and in the present suffered the same heartbreak as you, everybody who's loved and lost their own husband. I breathe in their pain Mm -hmm. and then I breathe out a little bit of relief. Wow. And so doing that uh, daily practice really helped me move forward. Wow. Wow. That's incredible, Tulin. I didn't think I was gonna make it. (laughs) Yeah, this was gonna, were there any moments Tell us a little bit about that. Like, were there any moments when you thought about, you know, taking your own life or like, you know, thought about like really, you know, tell us like that, that those moments when, cause I know I've been in those places too of like, this is never going, like I'm, we go into those places sometimes where it's like, 
this is not, it's going to be like this forever. There's no way I'm going to recover from this. There's no way out of this. Like that, like, like even, you know, thinking suicidal thoughts and stuff like that. Like tell us, I would love to hear a little bit more about that feeling. Yeah. So I actually was a depressed uh, child. I had suffered from depression um, from 14 to 24 and it was, it was very bleak. And I did think about suicide and I wrote like very dark poetry and it was just classic uh, textbook depression, like no pleasure or joy in life. Mm -hmm. um, after I healed myself from that, I never came close to feeling those dark days again, but the heartbreak and the grief was so intense that I didn't think that I could make it in in the way that i didn't want to feel the pain mm -hmm. and so i i mean there were times like i i have to be honest like i drank like a lot um and because i get drunk like very easily <laughs> as you have witnessed um you know it was i would maybe have like one drink every day yeah but that was enough to sort of like, just keep me in this space of numbness and mm -hmm. not feeling. And so when the kids are crying or when they're fighting or, you know, having their uh, moments, it was so much easier for me because I was also dealing with the grief and the heartache of being betrayed and not being able to work in this company that I helped build and loved so much also. Wow. And so you were no longer able to help in the business at all. Like they completely cut you out of everything. Yeah. So it was an e-commerce company and they went so far as to change my Shopify password. Oh. And they wow. never told me. I just tried to log in one day and I no longer could. And when I tried to call them, nobody picked up the phone. Hmm. So it, it felt so bad. Oh my gosh, Tulin. Um, I'm sure the audience is wondering, you went penniless overnight. How on earth did you make money to support yourself and your three young children during that time? Like, where did the money come from? Yeah. So we were, we were in this place where, like I said, there was no credit and no money. So I had to sell the house because I could no longer, I couldn't afford it. Um, so we had to sell the house and now the pandemic has started. <laughs> of course, of course. <laughs> Yeah, like, you know, layering on like one difficulty on top of another. So I had to find an apartment and I moved us back to New York City because that's where I did have some some support in in the form of my parents. So even though they couldn't help us financially, you know, they were there to help me watch the kids because I tried to get a job. Okay, so this was a little bit before the pandemic. I tried to get a job so that I could put food on the table and because this was pre-pandemic, people were still in the office. 
like, you know, remote work was like for virtual assistants and, you know, programmers, things like that. But most people still worked in the office. And then as I would like hit the pavement, you know, applying for jobs and things like that, that's when I realized mom hours don't fit into office hours. And there was no way that I could work a, a job that could provide for all four of us and still pick, you know, take them to school pick them up from school and, you know, make dinner, basically be a mom that they really needed during this crucial time. Yes, because they're they're going through all of their own trauma as well through all of this. Yes, right. yes. So I want to paint this picture for you. Yes. Where yeah. apartment shopping in New York City, I'm getting a little bit of a stipend of um, Ryan's death benefits all of the social security that he's paid into, you know, throughout his, uh, his years of working. So that became the only money that we could live on. And, you know, on top of that, I had like lawyers fees and things like that. So, and apartments are very expensive in New York city. And they would say things to me like, Oh, you have bad credit. No problem. Just, all you need is show us a bank that has 47 times the monthly rent that's due. And then it's no problem. You don't, you can have a, you know, crappy credit score. And I was like, wow, okay. I don't have that kind of money. Yeah. It was like, okay, too bad. Um, so that was, that was the situation that we were in. And so what I was doing to be able to pay for food and things like that is, I would just sell things that I had, like a Chanel bag that I bought for $3,000. I would sell maybe for $400, and that gave us food for the week. And so, you know, a pair of shoes, old cell phones, you know, an old laptop. Um, the hardest thing that I sold was that I sold the children's baby clothes like some fancy baby clothes that I bought for like pictures for their first birthday or something that I wanted to keep for mm -hmm. the grandkids, for their own children. But, you know, if I was able to get $20 for it, then I sold it. And so that's how we survived until one day, one night, I, I had a dream and Ryan came to me and he said, sell your wedding ring. And in the dream, I argued with him. I said, I can't, I can't do that. I can't, you know, it's like, it's my, it's like my, my connection to you. Like I wear it on my hand, you know? Um, and like the ancient Egyptians, like the reason why, you know, we wear um, the engagement ring and the wedding ring on the fourth finger of our left hand was that, I mean, you know, they knew that like it connected to the heart. Right. I thought, you know, there's no way I can't do this. And then Ryan said to me, do it and start a new life. And I was like, how do I start a new life by like selling a wedding ring? Like that doesn't make sense. And so I, in New York city, there's an area called the diamond district. And so I went there and I went from shop to shop, like trying to see who would give me more money. Right. And this was a six carat diamond ring from Tiffany's. So I don't know how much he paid, but I mean, I'm a businesswoman. I have an idea. Yeah. And they 
that's also when I learned that um, selling diamonds, they will give you about 10% of what you paid for. What, oh like, yeah, the commercial um, value of it was. But, you know, I was not in a position to negotiate. So I found a place that offered me like a couple hundred dollars more, which went, you know, a really long way for me at the time. And I sold, I sold the engagement ring. Uh, I still have the wedding ring here, but I sold the engagement ring and I would just sit every day and I would be like, what can I do for money? Like how, how do I know, like, what are my money-making skills? And then at that point I had not been in the stock market game for about five years because I had started angel investing and that was taking up my time. And then, and that's why I say that God, you know, didn't leave me because I was hit by an, an idea um, to invest in Netflix. And so the way I think of it is when you say a prayer, you're like dialing up to God. You're like placing a phone call to the divine and intuition is the divine answering you. And so I got an idea to invest in Netflix because Disney Plus uh, was going to launch like, you know, a new streaming service. And then it made me think about Netflix, who is like the king of streaming services. And so I re-entered the stock market and, you know, within a year made over seven figures and then was able to sustain us and pay for all the lawyers to fight for what was mine, rightfully mine. <laughs> wow, Tulan. So if you could go back and look at this time period, like what, what do you really, why do you think that happened to you? Why do, what, do you what do you think the lesson was in all of that, that you were supposed to like, why did, why was it that aggressive <laughs> like, if you if you don't mind sharing with us like what was the lesson you were you're supposed to learn and were, were, were there subtle hints of you needing to learn that lesson prior to this experience and this was just like a smackdown or like like talk about that a little bit oh my gosh it's such a good question <laughs> i you know i sat with it a lot because you're in this place, like you're on your knees and you're like, why, you know, why? Like, you know, not just one hard thing, but then another hard thing and then another hard thing. And it's like, why? And then I, so before that, for a reason at that time was unknown to me, but about six months prior to Ryan's passing, I, I became uh, obsessed, you could say, with shamanism mm -hmm. and where I would just like devour books and watch videos. And I, you know, I knew what the idea of a shaman was through like popular culture, you know, someone that heals, someone that like helps transports, you know, spirits back to, you know, back home. But I didn't know what it was. And so when he died suddenly, you know, without the strong practices of uh, uh, Buddhism and 
shamanism, you know, I wouldn't have made it through those days. And so the idea of the shamanic like initiation, so the shaman, the shaman is known as the wounded healer. And in some ancient cultures and, you know, all ancient cultures around the world have had their versions of a shaman. Mm -hmm. It was the person that was, um, that had lost everything, who had become sick and came back, who had like lost all their family members and are still going. And that's how the village elders knew, oh, this is the next shaman. They didn't pity this person. They didn't pity this person and say, oh my God, what bad karma, what bad luck. They would say, this is- a You must have done something wrong in your past you life. You're a bad person. You're yes. a bad person. <laughs> yeah. They recognized this person had the capacity to hold all of this pain. And then because of that, they then have the capacity to transform other people's lives, you know, with that. Because, and I'm sure you know, it's very hard to, I mean, we can do sort of like the mental practice of having empathy and compassion, but until you've been there, you know, it's really hard to put yourself in somebody else's shoes. It's like the beginning of your story when all of your friends didn't know how to support you because they've never gone through something so traumatic in their life. Yes. Yes, exactly. Exactly. And then like, it's not, it's not even that if you don't, if you haven't gone through it, you don't know how to support someone, but you're almost even scared of it because you don't want to say the, the wrong thing, or you don't want to accidentally offend them. And then in the end, you know, you kind of don't do anything at all, which is, you know, really hard for the suffering person too. Yeah. You know? But I could have compassion, you know, for the other side. And so that's why, that's why, you know, that wounded healer like archetype, because they have been through so much and have like lived through it, that the gifts that they bring back like to the village is so much more powerful because they themselves have lived through it. And so when I kind of found the meaning in that of all the suffering that like I've endured, you know, throughout my life, um, that, that gave me a sense of empowerment because it was like, it was really the moments that I felt like in victimhood that, you know, left me, that left me with no, no way out except to drink. Right. You know, because it was like, I can't believe these men, how they could do this to a widow, you know, that's so messed up or God, why would you do this to me? You know, take away my loving husband or, you know, take away their, the kid's dad. When I was in those victim um, states, I wasn't able to do anything. I couldn't, I couldn't find, um, I couldn't find like, what is the word? Answers. I couldn't find answers to all of these real world problems that I was facing. It was only when I got to this place of understanding that I was able to feel empowered and then creative. Wow. So 
as you're going through all of this, this is all, and I know there's some parts of your story that you didn't miss too. There was also a lawsuit with, you know, multiple lawsuits <laughs> with like your, 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 for, your, your past husband's former wife. And like also there was a whole bunch of lawsuits happening and it, through all of this, did you feel, and you know, all the stuff that you explained in this, this show as well, like, was there, did you feel like, obviously there, it was like, bang, it was like, oh my God, how did this happen? Like, why? Like, and it was years. I know you've told me it was years and years that this was happening, going on for. Was there something that shifted, something shift inside of you that shifted the, res, like, that finally created like a pressure release that things started actually moving? Because it was kind of like everything was at a, at a halt for a long time. Mm -hmm knowing your story. And it's like, did something internally shift in you? Did you realize something? Did, I know you were just talking about it becoming empowered. Like what happened that shifted the course of, of all of this? Yeah. Um, so I got into a place where I made under, I, I, I had understanding and made peace with all of the hardship that I had been going through. But it didn't mean that these lawsuits were going away. It didn't mean that, you know, I was now making money on the stock market, but, you know, my shares in the company were still locked up. They still didn't want to give it to me. They were still accusing me of stealing money and doing all sorts of like nefarious things. It, and many times, because it was so emotionally draining to fight with them. Many times I just wanted to roll over and say, okay, you want this? You know, this is so negative and toxic, like here, just have it. But it really wasn't until I like tapped into my rage mm. that, um, that I was able to find another source of power. Interesting. So you, went into more of like a victim energy of like roll over like i don't want this like why did this happen to me like i just want to hide like just take it all like get out <laughs> all the spiritual that bypassing is what i realized because mm -hmm. it was like who needs all this like negative vibes you know sure it's worth millions of dollars Sure, you know, you grew this company with your own bare hands, you know, 60 hours a day, uh, a week. But, you know, it's negative, you know, cut the cords, you'll make the money back. It was really spiritual uh, bypassing. Mm. And so then when you really tapped into your rage, that was like a, a power source for you that that you had never really experienced before? Would you say that? Yeah, because I never allowed myself to because of all. Were you afraid of your rage? Prior I was afraid of it yeah. because like that's what, you know, society doesn't like a woman that feels too much. Rage is too much for a woman to have. A woman's rage. Like that's why, you know, we have that saying like hell hath no fury, like a woman's uh, scorn, but you know, like a woman's like rage. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And 
And so when that came out, how did you act different? Like, obviously it came out and you can maybe, you know, it came out in, in, you know, in the, in the, in the, the legal system, in the, in the, the mediation rooms and stuff of all, of all these lawsuits, it came out there. And that's a very visible place that we can probably all imagine. Like, <laughs> no, <laughs> but where did it, did, it, did it impact any other areas of your life? Did, did you, did it, you know, influence how you were, raising your children or your friendships or, you know, the way you were investing or anything like that. Yeah. So I do, it did come out in the mediation room and I kind of want to paint this picture for you because it is still to this day, one of the proudest moments of my life. <laughs> Please paint the picture for us. <laughs> so we're in a lawsuit. I'm paying so much money to like a prestigious law firm because I really needed someone to have my back. Someone I felt like uh, strong and firm and aggressive to like have my back. And so that meant like paying up for it. So finally, some of the other partners got um, the company and I into a mediation room. And then they still started with the, you know, with the BS of Tulin has, you know, stolen millions of dollars. That's why in exchange, you know, we should just take back her equity. And so what I said, and there's like, I don't know, 11 lawyers or something in the, in the boardroom. And what I said was, we're going to sell the company and we'll all get rich, or I'm going to burn this mf -er down. And I just walked out of the room. That's all I said. And I walked out of the room. <laughs> <laughs> and then what happened? And then we sold the company. So they agreed after that. There was no, was yeah. there any conversation or did they just, they no, just, were like, okay, think, we've agreed. I think what it was, was that they kept thinking that there was a possibility, you know, that I would roll over. And I think what I showed at that point was there are only two options. We'll all get rich or I'm going to burn this MF or down. <laughs> <laughs> and they felt it in you because you had found that it. power inside yes. of you. Yeah. At uh, that point, I'd like had it. And so yeah. I so am. How did you get to the point of finding that power? Like, like, did you reach a breaking point? Did you like what happened? Yeah. I mean, I had reached like many, many, you know, breaking points. Yeah. <laughs> really? <laughs> many, I many can imagine. Points. But it was really when I sat with myself and I said, how did this happen? Like, what was my role in this? Like really taking ownership. And then I realized the way I acted, you know, in the couple of years that I was there, I, there was always this feeling that even though I put a lot of money into the company, a lot more money than some of the other male partners, it didn't feel like I was as worthy to be at the table simply because I was a woman, simply because I had a background of social work, like nonprofit, where these other men were like lawyers. They like uh, dealt with money. They so look down on nonprofit stuff. <laughs> yes, definitely. And I'm, you know, I'm smaller. Um, you know, petite, I'm a mom. I mean, all the things you can imagine. There was nothing about me that 
would say nothing about me physically that would say this is a powerful businesswoman. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I, I feel like that's how they thought that they could get away with it. And so sitting in that and I'm like, but look at, you know, I, you know, dollar for dollar, I put so much more than, you know, some of the other partners, but they had this sense of entitlement. And I was so curious about that. I thought, how come I don't? This is, <gasps> oh. yes, this is like, I, um, I had been investing since 1997 and this was half of all the money I had made since then. So it was like 1997 to 2016, almost 20 years of working. I had put half of my stock market profits into this company. And I was like, girl, wake up. (laughs) That's like, it's practically your life's work. Like, are you just gonna let them do you dirty like that? And so it was that process that I was like, no, I'm not going out like this. Wow. And think that that situation, like that lawsuit, the other lawsuit with the former, the former wife, like, do you think the combination of all of those lawsuits of being done dirty by all of these people that like, because it was so many things happening at the same time that that really gave you that, that energy of like, no, (laughs) this is not happening right now. Yes. Because like, because I was brought to my knees, like again, mm. and I'm like, there must be some underlying, because uh, Wayne Dyer, um, like a spiritual teacher, he has this great line, it's not what's wrong or right, but what's effective. And so I would keep thinking, what do I want out of this? Well, I want the money back I, or like I want the money or rather I want what's mine. And so I had to really do a lot of work about feeling worthy of what I felt was mine, which was like the money, which was the part in the company, which is all the time that I spent, all the love and care that I put into that, that was mine. And, you know, I had to feel worthy of that and I had to see my role in all of it. And so I'm like, there is a theme here. And so I thought, you know, well, then I realized like, I have to show up differently. And it's not even that I was a different person. It was my real self. It was just that I was shackling myself because I felt like this is not really how a woman should show up. Oh, so that there were maybe, so there was maybe times earlier on in the lawsuit where you were like wanting to show up with rage and it's, but you were like, no, a woman, a woman can't show up that way. I can't be confrontational. I can't be aggressive like that. Yeah. I can't even be loud. Right. Right. Only men could be loud. Interesting. And then finally through all of that, you found the power within. Being like being hit and you know pushed down and kicked when i'm down like enough and then i thought you know do i want to stay on the ground like no i don't want to stay on the ground and then so but it really had i had to get to that point interesting wow 
And so how did your life look different after this? Like, do you, do, this was, was this a turning point in how you showed up in the world? I, yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So we, we sold the company for over a hundred million dollars. I got my piece of it. Um, another company that, so, you know, a, a feeling of empowerment is really like a much higher vibrational state. And when you're kind of like hanging out there, you can be so much more creative. And so, at, you know, I was able to decide that we were going to settle in Austin. And before that, during the during like the two years of the pandemic, we kind of roamed around America. We had a lot of fun, but I couldn't commit. And it was also around my maybe like feelings of unworthiness, like as a mother, could I make these huge decisions, you know, for the for the kids? Like I was filled with self-doubt. But, you know, when I decided I'm going to show up like more authentically, you know, myself and damn whoever, you know, doesn't like it, you don't have to hang out with me. Um, then, you know, I was able to like move forward with my life. Like we're going to live in Austin. You're going to go to a Waldorf school, you know, and all of this came with like very little self-doubt. Wow. Okay. So you found like authority in yourself through this and you yes. found like trusting yourself and yes. your decision through this. Yes. Wow. And then I realized through that process that that's what the children needed in this like super chaotic, uh, tumult emotionally tumultuous time of losing their dad. And then the pandemic, they needed someone that was really strong you know, a parent that was sure of herself, you know, that was going to make decisions and keep them safe in, you know, a world that was changing so rapidly. And wow. so when I was able to tap into that, um, I was able to help get them adjusted, help them feel safe. And then now we could begin the process of healing together as a family. Wow. So beautiful. So beautiful, Tulin. You're such an inspiration, truly. <laughs> so I know, I know now you, you have so many visions for the world. Like after going through this, like I guess, tell me, tell tell us a little bit about what your hopes are are now. Like where what your visions are now for for moving forward. And I know you you want to help other women and and in, in this situation or not in such in in like just tell me more I, I know you want to help women so tell us tell us more about that yeah so when i climbed out of that darkness out of that pit of despair with my own bare hands and i think you know i think it was great it was definitely hard at the time not having any help not having any, any advisors not having any uh, financial support. But I realized like, because I didn't have any, I had to do everything myself. And now that I'm on the other side, uh, that kind of confidence and knowing, you know, in my own abilities is like in my body. Mm -hmm. 
So, which helps me, uh, you know, do things like differently. And so when I got out of that, like with my own bare hands, then I realized that I felt called to help women also not feel disempowered, you know, in that way. Because when I started investing as a teenager and through my years as a social worker, I only had like $20 or $50 at a time. And it was a time when there was like no internet, there was no iPhone, there was no, uh, you know, Robinhood, which is a popular uh, stock market trading app. And so it was very hard and I did it. And so I thought if there's anything I can do to sort of like help women feel empowered in that way, you know, I've, I've got to do it. And so that's, that's where I am in my path right now. I feel like if I could help women, light workers, um, consciousness engineers, if I could help put more money in their pockets and help empower them, in that way, you know, people who are trying to raise the vibration of the earth, then I feel like we can really shift um, the power dynamics of the world. Oh my gosh, I love that so <laughs> much. <laughs> and I love I, something you've said before was that really hit me was you said like something about like when you put money into something that grows and or so you want like, you want women to have money and spend money on things. Can, what, what, how, can you say that again? What you've said before? Do you remember what I'm talking about? Um, it's like, yeah. it's like when women, women, like consciousness in a way, like follows me. So like where we're putting money that grows. And so if men, men are making most of the financial decisions in the world right now. And so it's like fueling all of these, more masculine companies but if women had had money and were investing in the things that they yeah. wanted to invest in like more light would grow in the world yeah. yeah yeah so there there's this great line um from either like an economics professor or something um i'll get it to you and then you can share it and the the quote is every dollar you spend is a vote for the world that you want to live in Yes. And so, you know, like women are actually, um, actually make most of the financial decisions, the day-to-day -day financial decisions in their homes, but they don't feel empowered to make the bigger decisions. So it's the men that do that. And then that carries through all the levels of government. And so, right, these lesser conscious people are spending money where they see fit. And then, you know, that's how we get never ending wars. We have, you know, a big pharma that's making everybody get sick. Um, big agriculture that's making everybody get sick also. And, you know, women who are the sort of natural caretakers of the world, because we're just built that way, you know, because we have to care for little tiny babies. So if we're not built to care about helpless things, you know, humanity would not survive. So I mean, <laughs> are there bad women? Yes. But I'm sure that the more I could put money into women's pockets, you know, the more we could shift the, the power system. 
And, you know, frankly, that's all in institutions and corporations care about is when you vote with your dollars, like that's how we can make real change. I and it can happen today. Yes. I love that, Tulin. So what, tell us a little bit on that note, just, and I'm curious, like where, where do you like to, to put your money into, where do you put your votes? That oh, you, that's such a good question. That you feel like is influencing the world in a way that like makes you feel good inside. Yeah, you don't have to go through all of them, but like just the ones that make you feel good. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I think, you know, like a lot of my investments are still around where I think I could make the most money in, mm. in places where I feel most excited. Mm. And so I care a lot about green energy but as investments, they are not great investments. And mm -hmm. so what I do want to say is that where I'm spending money is on myself and my home and where I think uh, would have like the most impact. Because like where I am on my journey is, you know, as someone who's always put like other people first, as I'm sure, you know, a lot of your viewers are going to be able to relate. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I realized that if I turn, you know, money is power still in, in this day and age. So if I turned and used that, those resources, you know, those pow mm -hmm. that power, like on myself, I myself could become a well-resourced woman. And mm -hmm. as a well-resourced woman, I could so much easy, more easily help, you know, whoever it is that I want to help. And so that is where I've been spending my resources and money. Sounds like you're bettering yourself. It's like putting your oxygen mask on first, healing yeah. yourself so that you are then able to support others as well. Yes. Mm -hmm. I really I that, that is a very common. I see that a lot where I, in the divorce coaching that I've done. Is you know women who are going through super gnarly divorces and they're they're helping other people, but it's like let's let's all like I know it's counterintuitive. Like yes, it's not it's, you shouldn't you shouldn't be mean to other people, but it's like we got to get our we, if everyone got their own lives under control and really healed themselves instead of trying to heal other people or save other people, the world would be a better place. Yes. Yes. There's, um, there's sort of like what I consider a, a mystical law, and that is as within, so without. Mm -hmm. And so the real work that we can start doing today is sort of like getting this, you know, to feel good inside. And really, if a lot of people did that, you know, the outside world would start to change. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Tulin. It's oh, always such an honor talking to you. And I'm really, I know we're going to have more, more recorded conversations coming soon with our oh, podcast so releasing. <laughs> so much fun. Yeah. It's always such a joy talking to you. Thank you so much for coming today. And any, you want to close with any statements? When I think about like kind of what's been going on in like society, all the you know, the, the chaos and, you know, things are changing so rapidly, the rise of AI, you know, simultaneous wars involving multiple countries, 
um, you know, debt at like astronomical levels that we've never seen before. But then at the same time, I also sense um, the sort of rising of consciousness. And then I'm like, this is very interesting that it's kind of happening at the same time, uh, although it makes like a lot of sense. And so I was kind of thinking like all of these new healers that we see like everywhere, like why is that happening? And then I realized it's because, you know, the, so going back to shamanism, the, the specific village that produced a particular shaman, like the shaman of that village, their skills was particular to the village's needs. And so when I see all of these new people that are reaching for the divine by becoming, you know, Reiki healers or astrology readers and stuff like that, they, they want like a little bit more understanding. And I'm like, why do we see so much of that now? And then I realized it's like in response to, you know, what the times are calling for, what the times need. Mm. And so, um, it, depending on what translation of what culture you are translating from, the shaman is one who sees in the dark. And so they don't need their eyes to see because they see with their heart. And so that's where I am um, personally, is working on myself so that I could see with my heart. Oh my God, that's beautiful, Tulan. <laughs> <laughs> I love that so much. It really, it really is a crazy time that we're in right now. And there's, but it, it's also so beautiful. Like you and I have both been through a lot in our lives. And it's really in those moments that, like you shared with in your story before, that those are the moments when the deepest spiritual awakenings happen. The, the biggest light comes from those really dark times. And yeah. that's what we're seeing in the world as a whole right now. And it's really yeah. That's, that is when I realized, like when I've been on my knees and broken, that's when I realized I was able to touch the divine. Yes, I love it. Thank you, Tulin. <laughs> Thank you for joining today. It's been so magical chatting with you today. If you liked this, or even if you didn't, please leave a review. I absolutely love all feedback. And if you feel called to learn more and get loving support from others just like you, I have a free community. You know that feeling you get inside when you are around your people? Your body comes alive, time slows down, and you feel home. My community is full of those people. Lots of love and talk soon.